you today. I said it's amazing. Last night I looked at the cameras before I set the alarm here at the church, and to see all the tables set up, and the, it's, it's just amazing to look what they did in the narthex. And I said it's so wonderful that we have such an amazing group of people in our congregation that we just show up and it's done. So if you had any part of setting up the ministry fair, thank you, thank you so much. So I want to talk to you today about this gospel reading from Matthew. It was a hard one for me because I really like Romans, and Romans 12 is one of my absolute favorite chapters in Romans, and so I said, I'm going to preach on Romans 12, and God said, you're going to preach on Matthew 18. But I think Matthew 18 is probably one that we all need to hear from time to time as it really goes through some things that we really need to evaluate and how we interact with people that do us wrong. And so I think it was a good one for us today. And so really the big idea is as followers of Christ, we must forgive others as God has forgiven us. And you see, Matthew 18, start to finish, is really all about relationships in the Christian community. In chapter 18, it looks at humility. It looks at not causing others to fall into sin. The concern that none be lost. And then what we get to today, discipline, reconciliation, and forgiveness. You know, today we're in that central section in verses 15 to 20, and it deals not so much with regulations for the church order, but a pattern for reconciliation and forgiveness within the Christian community. In the gospel reading, it covers what to do when a member sins and refuses to repent and return to the community. The goal is redemptive because it's at every stage is marked with reconciliation and forgiveness. And so we see these three stages in the reading today, the private, the uh, challenge from one or two witnesses, and then the judgment from the whole community. And at any stage of this, of course, if the person repents and seeks forgiveness, full reconciliation occurs. And so what I want to do is kind of different than how I normally do my sermons, but I really want to walk through these five verses together and just kind of talk about each verse and go through them. And then I want to refer to Leviticus and kind of talk about, you know, how, how we get this wrong sometimes and what happens when we don't follow this plan laid out by Christ for us. And so Jesus starts in verse 15. It says, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You know, this is the private confrontation piece between the sinner and the one having been sinned against. The goal is to obviously get the person to see their fault, change their ways. This is not judgmental. This is an area we mess up in. This is not to cast judgment on them. It really is to say, hey, you've hurt me. And you're very specific in how they've hurt you, how they've wronged you. And the hope is really that they do come around to that repentant heart. It's not to judge them. It's a desire to bring a wandering sheep back into the community. That's the important part of this. You're desiring to bring that person back into full reconciliation with you and with God. So if the person listens, great. Hallelujah. They're restored. The person's redeemed with, the, with you, the church, and with God. And that's what we're going for. That's what we're hoping for. 
Now in verse 16, it goes on, but it says, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You know, we pretty much live in a place today that we kind of make our own truth. My truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. And so oftentimes when people confront us on something to give us constructive criticism, we become defensive really quick because I'm right. I'm right. I'm, I'm justified in what I did and what I said and how I, how I interacted. And so a lot of times today, I think, unfortunately, we do fall into this. Even in Christian community, we fall into this where people don't listen because they don't want to hear it, because they're acting in a way that's how they want it to be. You know, it really does go back to that sermon I preached a few weeks ago on letting God be God and letting God be in control. We struggle with that because we want to be in control. And so oftentimes, if you did confront somebody, they're going to go into the, it's not their fault scenario, or cast the blame on somebody else. And so if that happens, like it talks about, you know, we are told to bring the witnesses. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, which is the passage that establishes the legal precedent of two or three witnesses for any judicial situation. Sometimes we need those witnesses. And in this case, the witnesses would typically be uh, leaders in the Christian community. That's who you would call to come in and go with you, a leader in the Christian community. And their primary purpose is not to cast judgment, but to affirm the matter to the guilty party and help them realize the seriousness of the situation. The primary goal is still to bring the person back into relationship with the one they hurt and back into relationship with God. That's still the goal. The goal is not to go to gang up on the person. The goal is to bring them back into the family. And then they go on in verse, Jesus goes on, he says, if he refuses to listen to me, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So now we go on. So if the person has not listened with the witnesses, now you can bring it back to the church. You can bring it back to the community. Now this is not the universal church. This would be the local church, the local people that you're involved with and the person's involved with. That's who you're going to at this point to have them gather together and come together and hopefully go to this person and bring them back into reconciliation. It's still to bring the person back to repentance. It's not to cast judgment. However, however, if the person still refuses to be reconciled with the the person, this is where the judgment piece happens. This is where it likely means to treat the person as someone that's an unbeliever, that's outside of the family. And that's a hard one, because a lot of times when people do us wrong, our initial inclination is to say, oh, I'm done with them. I am done with them. That's not what Jesus is saying in this. They may be an outsider now, they may be treated as an unbeliever, but that doesn't mean we stop our pastoral concern for the person. We're still concerned about this person's well-being. We still want to see them reconciled with God. We still want to see them brought back into the family. And so that pastoral concern doesn't change here. We still pray for that person. We still hope that they see their sin and repent And this is the hard part for us as the one that's been wrong, that despite their lack of repentance, you still forgive the person. Despite their lack of repentance, 
You still need to forgive the person. I still need to forgive the person. We cannot hold this against them because it's going to eat me up if I do that. And that's not where I need to be. And that's a hard one. That's a hard one. In verse 18, it go, Jesus goes on to say, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Aubrey, you can go on. I should have this one by, by heart. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And this really is that piece that says, you know, if you're binding, you're retaining the sin. Or if you're forgiving, you're loosing the sins. You're letting that go. You see, God needs to be behind every decision that that community makes. When that community, whether it's the individual or the witnesses or the church goes to the person that's done the wrong, God needs to be at the center of that. You need to be praying before you go meet with the person. You need to be praying that your words are his words in that interaction. And yet so often we struggle we struggle with that piece because we know what we want to say if we're going to go confront that person. We know how we want to interact with that person, and maybe that's not the way God wanted it to be. So God should be at the center of this whole Matthew 18 principle. And then Jesus goes on to say, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And this really is also that piece of letting God be God. The only guarantee that earthly concerns will work out is when they're placed under God's control. That's the only way that it's going to work out is when it's placed under God's control. When it comes to discipline, it must be handled through the guidance of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that means even when it doesn't go the way that we think it should, even when maybe that person doesn't interact with us the way that we hoped, on whichever level it is, we have to know that God has a plan. Because it goes back to that God is sovereign and God is in total control. And even when we go, why, why did you allow this? Why didn't something happen? We have to say, you know what? It's okay. Because God has a plan despite the fact that this didn't go how I thought it needed to go. And finally in this, he says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And when we gather together in Jesus' name, he's present. He's present in this process of reconciliation against the person that's wronged us. When we gather in his name, we're in fellowship with him. We're part of his community and we're under his authority. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, it says, When you assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, the power of our Lord Jesus is there. When we gather together in his name, the power of the Lord Jesus is present. And that's why it's so important to go into any situation of reconciliation with him foremost, that we're prayed up, that we're ready to go in, that you can't just go into this and act on your own behalf. It's not going to work. Reconciliation's definitely not going to happen. And it's only going to go down from there, probably. So we have to work with his power and his presence. And so I want to look at Leviticus chapter 19, which I was reminded of as I was going through this, this uh, gospel reading. And it says this in Leviticus 19, it says, you shall, hate, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin 
because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, a lot of times what we do is when someone wrongs us, our initial response is anger. We get angry, and you might feel almost that hate towards them. You go, how could they, how could they do this to me? How could they act in this way? And so you start to get that bitterness, and it starts to build up in you. And see, he goes on to say in Leviticus that we can incur sin because of our neighbor that sinned against us. We can incur sin, and so what's happening here is when we don't follow God's plan, we ourselves incur sin, because what do we normally do when someone does wrong to us? What's one of the first things we normally do is we find out who can we run to and tell about this? Who can we run to and say, hey, guess what was done to me? Guess what Kathy did to me? Mm-mm-mm. Leave it to Kathy. She was the miserable sinner this week at the funeral we had. So, But we go, what, you know, let me tell you what Kathy did. And so we tell the person. And then they agree with us. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. And so now we're starting to feel justified in our anger. We're starting to feel okay about this. And so then we go and tell somebody else. And I tell Linda, oh, Kathy. And then I go to Brenda and, oh, Kathy. And all these people start to form with me and go, ah, yes, you're right. That was terrible. And so I start to be raised up. I start to be raised up. But guess what I'm doing in the process? I'm incurring sin. So now someone has sinned against me, but guess what? Now I'm going out and sinning because I'm talking to everybody about what happened. Because I decided not to follow God's plan. But in our minds, we justify it because we said, oh, we just went out to coffee with this person and it just came up in conversation. I just took them to lunch so I could talk about you know, how life's going, and this came up. They're my good friend. It's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay because we're bypassing God's plan for how reconciliation works. And now we're incurring sin. And so we're falling into sin. And the ripple effect just gets worse and worse and worse. And we see it all the time that we don't follow the Matthew 18 principle because we want to feel justified and we want everyone to know what that person did to us so that everyone can go, oh, mm-mm-mm. And then I can feel all the better. We all do it. We all do it. Because we're not willing to follow what Matthew 18 so simply lays out for us. And you see, when we focus on sins, inwardly keeping score and note-taking of other people's crime, that practice leads to two other diseased fruits that's come from hatred. And those are vengeance and holding grudges. Because we feel either the need to settle the score, vengeance, or we refuse to move on and we hold a grudge. And notice in passing, in this reading from Leviticus, it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. You see, the people that we're talking about here are the people of God. This is part of the Christian community that we're talking about. And so when we don't interact in a way that's consistent with Matthew 18, we're having vengeance and holding a grudge against God's people, his children, his saints, and his family. 
And since they're his family, they're also our family. I liked what John Piper had to say. He said, if you want to let the devil into your life, procrastinate and neglect to resolve your anger towards others. Isn't that the truth? If you want to let the devil in, just hang on to that anger. Procrastinate on it. And that's what we tend to do. We tend to hang on to these things. We don't like to go to the person. We don't like to confront them on what happened. But we're okay telling other people about it. Why that is, I don't know exactly, other than it makes us feel justified. But when we do that, we're letting the devil in. And as followers of Christ, we should be doing everything we can to keep the devil out. Because once the devil gets in on a little thing, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we watch people fall into greater and greater sin as a result of not dealing with things. Don't procrastinate on these things. When someone upsets you, when someone hurts you, go to them. A lot of times they don't even realize they did anything. And yet we're out there telling all about them to everybody else, and they are totally clueless that what they did had really hurt us. And if we're the one that did the hurting, we have to be willing to listen. And it's not just listening, it's we have to act on it at that point. We have to really seek forgiveness. It's not turning around and saying, well, I did that because, you know, uh, so-and-so. They, they started this, and we passed the... No, we need to take ownership. When we mess up and someone comes to us, we need to be willing to say, you're right. You're right. Please forgive me and seek forgiveness. You know, how do you love your Christian neighbor? I liked what Matthew Henry said in his commentary. He said, we often wrong ourselves... But we soon forgive ourselves those wrongs, and they do not at all lessen our love for ourselves. In like manner, we should love our neighbor. We should love our neighbor as ourselves, and that's so true when I read that. I never thought about it on the forgiveness piece. It's so true when we mess up, we are quick to forgive ourselves. We are quick to forgive ourselves and say, well, all right. But when someone else does something against us, we're not as quick about it. We're not as quick. We hold on to it. And so if we're really loving our neighbor, then we are quickly forgiving others like we forgive ourselves. It says in Colossians chapter 3, it says, If one is a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive that's such an important verse for us to remember, that we need to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. A few weeks ago, this was the gospel reading for the first Grace School Church service this year. And so the theme, of course, was forgiveness. And one of the things that I mentioned was, you know, in our church service, we have the peace. And, of course, the peace at Christ the King is a very social event. You know, we, we do love each other and we enjoy catching up with each other. But the purpose of the peace is to be reconciled with each other. That if we have a problem with somebody, we're to go to them. We're to make it right before we partake in Holy Communion. That's really the purpose of the peace, is to be at peace with all people before we come up and take communion. That's what's so important about it. It's not just an inter intermission time during the service. It really is to say, is there anybody that I'm not forgiving? Is there somebody that I have a problem with? And to evaluate it and look at it. And if they're here in the church, that's a good time to go over to them and give them the peace, even if you don't want to. 
even if you maybe don't want to do it. The second thing I talked about in that Grace School service was every week we say the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We're asking God to forgive us in the way that we forgive other people. Every time I really think about that, it almost bothers me a little bit. Because I think, am I forgiving people? Or am I holding on to things? And now I'm asking God to forgive me in the same way? How often we just say those words or sing those words at this service, and we don't really think about it. It's become repetition. We do it week after week. But when we're saying those words, we really are saying, God, forgive me as I forgive others. And as I thought about that, I thought how crazy it is that we hold on to sins when we can look up at the cross and Jesus took every one of my sins from the time I was born through today and for the rest of my life, that when I run to him and ask for him to forgive me and tell him I, I've fallen short, I need to repent of this, and he does every single time. And yet I'm holding on to one sin that someone committed to me five years ago, and I can still remember that and still tell you about it. That's not where we need to be. And so as we prepare, you know, to come up to communion, that's where we need to be saying, I am going to be a person that forgives these people that have wronged me. And maybe they're not going to want to be back in reconciliation with us. Maybe at the end, if you follow Matthew 18, at the end they'll say, eh, not doing it. But we have to be at peace with all people. And so last time I preached, I had challenged you to read Romans 9, 10, and 11, and I was amazed at how many people texted or called me and said, I'm reading that, I'm studying those passages. I encourage you today to go home and study this week Matthew 18. There's still a section we're going to hear about next week, which is also on forgiveness, and I believe that's what Father Don's going to talk about. And so I hope you go home this week and really look at these things and really study it and go through it from beginning to end and look at this humility piece, the not causing others to sin, the concern that none be lost, and then discipline, reconciliation, and forgiveness. I encourage you to really go home, meditate on it, see what God has for you in it. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to go to and follow this Matthew 18 principle. Or maybe there's someone in your life that you have just been holding on to unforgiveness. I guarantee you as you study this and pray on it and meditate on it, God's going to bring somebody to mind. I know he did for me this week when I was preparing for this sermon. And I went, oh, oh, you're right, Lord. And I'm working on it. And I'm working on it. But that's what I hope for us, is that we're changed as a result of this. And I think if we go home and really study this passage, you can come back here prepared next week to lay whatever it is at the foot of the cross. To lay that unforgiveness at the foot of the cross so that when we hear part two from Father Don on forgiveness, we really will be coming up to communion knowing that we are at peace with all people. So that is my prayer for us today, that as we study this word and this powerful message that he gave us on forgiveness and reconciliation, that we will be a people that's at peace with all people. Amen.